Thank you for listening to our church podcast where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. Most of the sermons will be preached by our founding pastor, John Cole. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m. for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. All right, thank you for making it today. We're in Psalm 49, similarly to Psalm 37 that we were at in two weeks, uh, for two weeks. This psalm helps us respond in faith when wrongdoers, they prosper around us. But very differently, this chapter applies and gives us an application that is completely different It focuses on not God's general salvation or deliverance when we're in a predicament or problem, but rather it focuses on God's eternal salvation. His redemption here in Psalm 49 is where the focus is. It's focused more on eternal justice and a hope in God that he is judge, he is justice, uh, he is just, and that he gives us redemption and offers it. And today I want to look at that together today. Uh, If you will, look with me in verse 5 and 6, and I'll place it on the screen for you if that will help. Verse 5 says, Wherefore should I fear in the days of evil, when the iniquity of my heels shall compass me about? And that's referring to the iniquity of those that are on his heels or those that are his enemies. They that trust in their wealth and boast themselves in the multitude of their riches. He's talking about people that have made themselves powerful around him, that he cannot fight against himself, that are powerful. And he says that, uh, should I fear in these days? And he should not. He gives reason to not fear. And like I mentioned today, the reason for not fearing is that God, who is just, gives reason to hope in a redemption that he specifically declares in the middle of this text. The word redemption means the purchase back of something that has been lost by the payment of a ransom. The purchase back of something that has been lost by the payment of a ransom. You ever lost something before? And you you would do almost anything you could to get that back? Have you ever also had insufficient funds or insufficient or unavailable resources in order to buy something that you just wanted to have, believed you needed to have? There was, uh, I just heard a story just recently this uh, last week where there was a a lady that was invited to church by someone I know, and he was inviting her into church. It was a coworker and hoping she would come. And, and she said, you know what? I think I'll try. I'll think about it. I'll try. And you know, I, I think I'll try to come this Sunday, but she was busy. She was overwhelmed. She didn't, she didn't go. And instead she went shopping that morning to the grocery store while she was in the grocery store that morning shopping. She got all of her stuff. She put it in the uh, cart. She went down to the register and she went to buy and she had insufficient funds to buy what she was needing to buy. The guy behind her in line saw it and said, 
Oh, uh, I'll take care of her bill for her. He bought her groceries for her, and she was just in amazement. Why would he? She didn't know him. What a gracious act that he would buy it. And then she she said, you know, you know, I do you want me to pay you back later? Is there anything I can do? He said, no, no. Only thing I'd like to ask you to do is just go to church. Go to church. And she immediately was like convicted and wow, you know, because my coworkers trying to get me to go over and over again. I said I would go this morning. I didn't go this morning. I'm in line and this, you know, random person buys my groceries and says, go to church. So what do you think she did after she was done with those groceries, man? She took off. She went to church. She had insufficient funds and someone was a blessing to her and helped her out. I remember a time when I just recently... uh didn't have the funds I needed in order to buy a simple thing at Chipotle. And that was because I didn't bring my wallet. I had a lunch appointment, but that day I drove into work and I just didn't have my wallet that day. I'm like, oh man. I'm like, yeah, no, no big deal. They're, uh, you know, it's a millennial place, right? So uh, you can buy with your phone, you know, no problem. I go there and nope, they, they didn't have the ability to buy with your phone, your watch or anything like that. So I'm like, oh, that's great. So, uh, so I invite this person for a lunch appointment and, uh, pretty much, you know, hey, can you buy me a lunch, you know? <laughs> like, I can't do that. So I told the person, I said, hey, can you take my credit card, you know, number and can I give it to you? And then you just enter it in, punch it in. No, no, we can't do that. I'm like, okay, so you don't have the phone thing. You can't take the credit card. What can you do? And, uh, so then I realized that, uh, they have an app. And so I could just buy it that way. So I'm like, okay. Here, I'll give you my order, and then I'm going to order it through the app. And we did. I ordered my, my meal, sat down at my table, and then I quickly ordered my meal, and they brought it to me, and it was great. But for a moment there, I thought, man, I have insufficient funds, no, no available funds. In order to buy what I need to buy, it's a predicament to be in. I've also been international when traveling for our missions and uh, had... U.S. cash on me, but I had something I wanted to buy, but all I had was U.S. dollars. And even though U.S. dollars would be valuable, someone would want them, when you're buying at a store, when you're international, U.S. dollars don't help. And uh, oftentimes you don't want to use a, you don't want to use your debit card or a credit card when you're traveling internationally. The best way to do it is to go to an ATM and pull out currency. And one of the times I was like that, Marvin was with me, actually, because he went to Tanzania with me the one time. And I, I had some things I wanted to buy. And so I said, Marvin, if you, if you would be open to it, I will text you money right now from my phone, uh, from my bank. And then could you pull out cash so that way I've got it? Because I, did, I just didn't have, again, I guess I got a problem. I don't carry my debit card enough. And I couldn't pull out cash. And you know what? Even though, even if I had dollar bills, if it wasn't the currency that the people there needed and accepted, it wouldn't work. Might have been a lot of it, but it just wasn't sufficient. I might have had money, but it wasn't what they wanted. It's not what they would recognize. I've even been in situations before where we where they wanted, like when you're going to buy a visa. You come to the country, they, they want a U.S., but they want a, a $100 bill you call a fathead. It's got to be brand new um, and no marks on it. And this person would not take 
the the hundred dollar bill because it had like some tiny little like earmark on it and some some kind of imperfection and nope 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 they wouldn't take it they they want a perfect immaculate brand new hundred dollar bill and they wouldn't take any other bills from you it's important when you buy things that your currency is accepted by those from whom you're buying it and that it relates to the matter one other illustration I was uh, reading about uh, ransoms in history that have taken place. And I was looking up some of the, the highest paid ramps, ransoms that have happened uh, that was published uh, in Business Insider. And one of them, it was the sixth highest paid ransom that is in modern history. It was $6 million paid out in 1974 equivalent to $29.3 million today. That's a ransom. And this was for a daughter named Patty Hurst. She was a sophomore at Cal Berkeley, and the 19-year-old heiress to Hearst Media conglomerate and her boyfriend were kidnapped by left-wing militants known as Symbionese Liberation Army, SLA. Anyone ever heard of that before? The SLA demanded that her family distribute $70 worth of food to every needy Californian, which would have cost an estimated $400 million. Hearst's father eventually distributed $6 million in food, but the kidnappers were unsatisfied. They claimed that the food was low quality, and they re- refused to release their daughter. Can you pay, imagine paying out $6 million to get your daughter back and as a ransom, and you still don't get her back? Later, Patty would join the SLA, becoming the poster child for the Stockholm Syndrome, and then she got arrested. That's a sad story of a ransom. They tried to pay out a ransom. The ransom was not accepted. In this passage that we're reading, you have something similar where some people hope to pay out a ransom that would work for them between them and God, but it's not accepted. And God declares that it will not be accepted. The message of the psalm is a message of justice and redemption needed by all people throughout all the world, whether they be Unknown or whether they be powerful and popular, whether they be poor or whether they be wealthy. Notice with me in verses 1 and 2. Hear this, O ye people, give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world. So it starts out by saying, hear, all people, what this psalm has to say. Hear this, listen, this is an important matter. And then he goes on in verse 2 and says, both low and high, rich and poor together, doesn't matter who you are, you need the message that I'm about to declare to you today. It's relevant to all. And today I want to declare the messages that are within this psalm today. And the title of the message I've, I've given for us is all about being redeemed. Redeemed. We'll start out first with the first section of this, and that is the reality of death. The reality of death. 
If you will look with me, we're going to learn about several statements in this passage. We're going to start off in verses 10 through 13. We're going to jump into the middle of it, and we're going to go to a couple different places just to help us be able to follow along with the thought processes. But there's a reality of death that we all experience. And if you look with me, first of all, in the statement, and that is we all experience death, yet many people fight it. We all experience death, yet many people fight it. Would you agree with that? I don't think any of us just want to just give in with death. We all experience death, yet many fight it. Notice with me in verses 10 through 13 in your Bibles there, and if you're making notes, use your Bible. We will go ahead and put them on the screen for you. Verse 10 says, For he seeth that wise men die, likewise the fool and the brutus person perish and leave their wealth to others. So first of all, I'm just making a statement that both the wise and the fool perish, and they leave their wealth to others. Doesn't matter who you are today, going back to the first statement, the rich, the poor, the popular, the unpopular, the known, the unknown. We all have a same end. Wise men die, likewise the fool and the brutish person perish as well. Verse 11 says their inward thought is that their houses shall continue forever and their dwelling places to all generations. They call their lands after their own names. So much of humanity is filled filled with people trying to preserve a legacy and preserve their names and buy places and build monuments and put their names on all kinds of buildings so that way their names go on and on and on through history. And that's what it's referring to, people fighting death, the death of their name, the death of their legacy by putting wealth into it and trying to buy lands and things and calling them by their names, names on streets and names on buildings, not saying these are bad things. These are just realities that we do. Nevertheless, verse 12, man being in honor or wealth abideth not. In other words, doesn't matter how much he has or how much honor or how much prestige the person have, they don't abide forever. They abide not. He is like the beast that perish. Now, nobody likes that to be said about them. You, you know, we like to build ourselves up. We want to believe that we are important in this world. But he's just giving a reality check here and just saying, you know what? Like a beast dies, you're going to die too. Now, we're not like animals. We're made the image of God. We have an eternal soul that has an eternal destination. But it's, it's bringing a, a, a reality check to the reality that, you know, we're going to die just like you see an animal die. Even if your coffin is beautiful, and even if you might have lots of people uh, at your funeral service, you'll still have the same end as far as a physical death. In verse 13, it says, This their way is their folly, yet their posterity approve their saying, Selah. So it's saying their way, this is a folly, it's a fallacy. He's saying trying to preserve their, their, their life through the accumulation and the investment of and the building of, of names and buildings and, and, and monuments and so on and all of this. He's saying this is a folly to them. Not the fact of, say, putting a name on a building, but hoping that that would preserve them. 
Not the fact of having even nice things or having wealth. That's not saying having wealth is wrong or, or investing in even a legacy, but hoping that being your hope of being your posterity, your, your, your prolonging your life, it's a fallacy. It's, it's a folly, he's saying. So the first statement that we gave is that we all experience death, yet many fight it. Second statement I'll share is that some remain under the power of death while others do not. Now, this is an important differentiator here. Look at verse 14 with me in Psalm 49. It says, Like sheep they are laid in the grave, death shall feed on them. And that's the shall feed on is together as one word that could that actually is referring to like death shall feed them or be a shepherd to them. So it's saying that death will actually be their guide. Death will be their leader. Death will be their ruler. Death will reign over them. Death will be their shepherd. And the upright, in contrast, the upright shall have dominion over them in the morning, and their beauty shall consume in the grave from their dwelling. This is just referring to some death being reigning over them and some others not. Some others being upright, having dominion over those that are under the rule of death, not being under the power of death. So there's some that under the power of death. There's some that are not under the power of death is what verse 14 is referring to. Verse 14 gives a personification of death as though it's a shepherd. Some are shepherded by death and some are shepherded not by death, but choose more of as, John, as Psalm 23 to have the Lord be their shepherd. Third statement here from these, this passage is we cannot redeem our souls or buy back our souls or the souls of others from the power of death. The New Testament perspective gives us a lot more, and we're going to jump to the New Testament a little bit, but it gives us a, a good understanding to help us see that because of sin, we've inherited death, and death has a power over us, but God wants to redeem us from that. So I don't want to get too, too ahead here, but that's where we're going. But the, the, this statement that I'm sharing is that we can't redeem or buy back our souls from the power of death. Not just talking about the physical death, but eternal separation from God, perishing from God. We can't buy back uh, our buy our redemption. And like the ransom story that I told before, where death has power over us from our because of our sin, we can't redeem us from that. Look with me in these verses, verses seven through nine in the text. Psalm forty nine seven through nine says, "None of them." can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. So he's saying none of these people that are you know, trying to prolong their life, they cannot redeem their own brother. They can't give to God a ransom for God to redeem them from death. For the redemption of their soul is precious and it ceaseth forever that he should, verse 9, that he should still live forever and not see corruption. It's saying no one can take something, whether it be finances or anything else, and give it to God and, and buy themselves or someone else back from the power of death. So as you can't use money to buy back uh, or, or negotiate with God about the reality of death. 
And you say, well, that's pretty obvious, because I think a lot of us here would realize, would say, agree with that, say, that's obvious. But it's not obvious to everyone around the world. People believe that they can give financially to redeem their souls as part of their payment toward God, giving to temples and giving to idols and giving to churches, hoping that the money that they give there will help redeem their soul. And it's a great way to make money as a church, to tell people you can buy back your soul, redeem it through your giving financially. But it's a very uh, heretical and false way to teach. Because I cannot, I cannot and you cannot buy with money or anything else the redemption of my soul to pay me back or, or, or rescue me from the power of death. Notice it goes on to say in verse 9 that he should live forever and not see corruption. In other words, you can't buy from God the ability to live forever and not see corruption. That's what it's talking about. Fourthly here, the fourth statement about this text is God does redeem souls from the power of death. Now, this is the good news. God does redeem souls from the power of death. Now, th- this is a topic that many are, are chase after. I mean, today, uh, many people with, with knowledge, with, with wealth, are putting a lot of money to just help us live 10 more years or 8 more years, right? They're, they're, or, or even to try to prolong our earth, hoping that with enough uh, uh, investment, our earth will last longer. There's a lot of money thrown at the idea of living longer, and the reality is God redeems souls, and we can't. So sure, we can add a few extra years, and it's a gr- very good idea to be a good steward of our life, of our health, but really, I mean, even if I add a few extra years, I still have the same end that I cannot rescue myself from. Know how much money I give away, know how much money I give to a church, know how, how many good things I do. I cannot redeem my soul from the power of death. But God does redeem souls from the power of death. Notice this, and you don't have a lot of passages in the Old Testament that, that go this clear about God redeeming them from the power of death. We do have passages in the Old Testament about the sacrifice of Jesus and of the redemption that he paid. But specifically about this, look with me in verse Psalm 49, verse 15. But God will redeem or buy back my soul from the power of the grave, for he will receive me, Selah. God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. This is the psalmist is writing and he's in confidence, believing God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. He will receive me, Selah. This is an eternal hope, believing that God would, he would buy me back from like a ransom payment, like that one daughter was bought, attempted to buy back from those that had kidnapped her away. Sin and death has given, uh, uh, received power over us because Adam first sinned and Adam and Eve sinned and we are in bondage to sin and death. And God chose to read, uh, to pay the ransom price to buy us back from the penalty of sin and the power of death. And so this psalmist is saying, though, though these 
that are powerful around me may try to redeem their souls by all kinds of good things they try to do and money they try to give and, and they try to obtain favor from God. He says, you can't do that, but God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. For he shall receive me, Selah. And then we have the last statement about this text that I'll share, and that is our earthly possessions will not be redeemed. Just putting things into perspective, verses 17 through 20 here, We'll just look at verse 17, though. While God does redeem our souls, the very thing that the other people are trying to buy redemption with, God's not interested in redeeming those. Verse 17, For when he dieth, he shall carry nothing away. His glory shall not descend after him. So in other words, we're all, we're all equal as far as it, those that receive power and wealth in this world. That's not going to transfer over into heaven. So I'm not going to transfer over because I obtained, say, wealth in this world. When I go to heaven, those aren't going to go with me to where it's like, okay, because I had more money here, I'm going to have a bigger place there, and I'm going to have more money to spend when I'm in the presence of God. That's not, he's saying that that's not going to transfer over. God's not going to redeem my possessions. Now, there are things we can do in this life that affects how we live in eternity, and I'm not going to focus on that today. But what we do know is that our possessions, God, Jesus, God did not come to redeem and buy back all of our stuff. He wanted to buy our soul. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 7 and 8 says it this way, For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. Verse 8, and having food and raiment, let us therewith be content. This is a perspective uh, uh, verse here, just helping us to keep in perspective that really at death, there, I'm not going to take with me what I have heaped to myself here. Now I want us to look at a New Testament perspective. So I want us to go from this psalm where we see very clearly that we all experience death, We cannot buy ourselves from the power of death. God has chosen to buy us from the power of death, and he wants that for me and you, but it's for our soul. It's not for anything else. Our body, he will redeem us completely, body, soul, spirit. Secondly, now, I want us to look into the New Testament and see how this is carried out. The Old Testament gives us much truth where the New Testament then fulfills. And so let's see, how did God pay a ransom for me and you? He loves us. He wants us to be with him. How does he pay the ransom price for our sin, for our death? So we look at here the redemption of Christ. We're going to look at the redemption of Christ and consider several statements and scriptures about the redemption of Christ. Jesus Christ is the ransom payment. He made the ransom payment so that our soul could be bought from the power of sin and death. We are all, uh, we naturally have within us sin. And because of that, we have a judgment of our sin, which is an eternal separation from God. But God wants us to be united with him. How did Jesus make that payment price? Redemption. Number one, Jesus came to pay our ransom. That's why Jesus came. And notice the words, Jesus came. We're not going to do a Bible study on this, but the Bible is very clear that Jesus didn't begin at Bethlehem. 
but that Jesus, we have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is three persons, one God. Not three gods and not three different parts that make up who God is, but God, it's, it's more complicated than what we can fully perceive or understand, and there's no illustration of it. God is the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and God the Son came from heaven to earth and took on humanity so that he could pay my ransom. As a, as a human, God and human, Jesus bore my sins on the cross in order to bear my ransom for my sin. So several verses about this. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 says, For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. So he didn't come to be served, but to minister and to what? Give his life a ransom for many. So why did Jesus come? He gave to fulfill the type of thing that we were just looking at in Psalm 49 to pay the ransom. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 13 says, Christ hath redeemed us, bought us from the curse of the law. Because the law is, declares what's right and wrong and so thereby brings a curse because it shows that we've broken it and it shows that we're sinners. And so Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. How did Jesus pay our ransom? He bore my curse and your curse of sin upon himself. First Peter chapter 1, and this goes very well with our text of Psalm 49. Notice it says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed or bought back with corruptible things, things that die, as silver and gold from your vain conversation or life that you live, received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. He's saying, You're not redeemed by the offerings that you give and put in at the temple by the tradition of your fathers and keeping of, say, the, the, the different commands of the tithes and how you would give and bring money to the temple. He's saying, you're not redeemed by that. He's saying, rather, you're redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus as of a lamb without blemish and spot. Remember I talked about being international and not being able to use U.S. dollars? Even though they'd be worth something, you have to go exchange them for something that the people would actually take. You have to have their money. It's always funny to come, fun to come back home and bring some of that money for my kids because it's like, you know, a thousand, you know, but it's like worth 75 cents or something, you know, it's not worth much, but it looks so big because my 75 cents was a thousand or whatever that they were using. And it's so, so funny that the currency is different. And what God is saying is the currency for the redemption of our soul has, has uh, nothing to do with anything that we can manufacture or give ourselves. Ephesians chapter one and verse seven says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. God is so gracious that he would even write this whole plan of saying, I, I will make you, because I want a relationship with you, I will allow you freedom of will, and I know you will choose to break my law. You will choose to sin as Adam and Eve did. 
but I've already written up the, the plan of how I will redeem you. God says that he wrote that before he ever made the world. He already sent Jesus to do this, pay the ransom price. And so God said, I, I, I will pay the price to draw you back to me and not be under the power and the bondage that sin brings. And it's through his blood. It's, a, it's, a, it's an amazing thing that God would even take upon himself flesh and blood to shed for us. But that's what the scriptures teach very clearly, that God took upon himself the humanity, that way he could bear our sins and be punished as a man for our sins. That was the ransom to be paid. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death. So the penalty of sin was paid by God himself. My penalty of sin was paid by God when he became man in order to bear my sin and shed his blood and pay the ransom. Secondly, Jesus' redemption is received through faith, not earned or purchased by us. So we get that Jesus made the ransom price. He paid the price of sin. The price of sin is death. God paid the price of ransom in order to buy us back. His justice said, death must be paid for sin. His love said, I will pay that price. That's the union of God's holiness and his love. Justice, death must be paid for sin. Love, I'll pay it for you. And what he's saying is that there's nothing you can manufacture or pay. Metals, gold, silver, they don't mean anything to God. He made them. What matters to him is what he gave, the blood that he shed for you and for me. And Jesus' redemption has been fully paid. We, we looked at that back on Easter time when we looked at the resurrection and how Jesus paid in full our price. He didn't make a partial payment of our ran ransom. He didn't put a down payment down and say, now I'm going to start you out and help you move forward. And then you got to do the rest through following what your church teaches or through being a good person or having good karma or whatever it might be. He didn't say, I'm going to put a down payment down. When he's on the cross, he said, it is finished, meaning paid in full. Paid the full ransom. But notice how it's received. How do I receive that ransom? Because it's not a physical thing. How do I receive the ransom that Jesus Christ paid? The Bible teaches us it's through faith or trust. Faith, it's very important that we understand what faith is or belief or trust. It's not, it's not a matter of believing, yeah, I believe about that. Yeah, I believe, I've heard about that before. I believe that Jesus is real. I believe about that he died and rose again. A trusting is a full dependence on. It's a turning from my dependency and my way, and it's a turning to God's provision in his way. It involves a repentance of turning from what I was doing, where I was going, and what I was believing, and turning to him. Faith and trust in Jesus Christ is a turning to God for his provision, believing that his ransom is the full payment 
that can deliver me from the power of sin and death. So here's some scriptures that talk about this here. If you will look with me in Colossians, and I'll put it on the screen for you, but Colossians chapter 1 and verses 12 through 14 says, Giving thanks unto the Father which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. So giving thanks to God because he's allowed us to be partakers with other, other saints, believers in Christ, who had delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, that were translated, he's not talking about a, a language translation, but, but rather moving us from this kingdom to the next. Uh, uh, um, it's similar kind of wording as the Bible talks about when Jesus returns and, and we'll be raptured up to be with him. Verse 14 says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. So in Jesus, we have redemption. We've looked at that already. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, for by grace, God's favor that we don't deserve, are ye saved from the power of sin and death through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So God says that we can't boast, going back to Psalm 49, because I know we've heard redemption before, but I'm, I'm just trying to take Old Testament passages and tie it in and help us to see that that Old Testament passage still declared that we needed rescued from the power of sin and death and that God would pay the ransom. And now we're looking in New Testament to see how it was paid. And it's stating here in verse 9, just like we saw in Psalm 49, that you won't be able to boast about it. You can't pay for your own ransom. You can't give money for it, time for it, talents for it, nothing. You and I can't redeem ourselves from the power of sin. We can't brag about it. We can't boast about it. Rather, it's all a gift of God. We receive it through faith, but it's all given by God. Jesus paid the ransom. We looked at Romans 3 last week at the 10 o'clock hour. I want to look at just three verses of that. Notice the status in verses 22 through 24 of Romans 3. Even the righteousness of God, God's righteousness, which is by faith of Jesus Christ. So it means that's the means by which you get it. Faith is the means by which you receive God's righteousness. Who's it available to? Unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. Next verse, for all of sin that comes short of the glory of God. So the passage is saying, we've all are equally sinners and short of God's glory. We all have this problem that we need ransom from the power of, we've been stolen from God to sin and death. And we all have this problem that we can't fix ourselves. And we need the righteousness of God that's given by faith of Jesus Christ. And it's available to all who will believe. Not all who will do what Pastor Cole says or Lakeshore Baptist Church says or any other religion says. But all that would believe on, trust on Christ. Turn from their false belief. Turn from their way. Believe on Christ. And then notice what happens in verse 24. Being justified freely. Justified is called righteous. When we're redeemed by God, we're called righteous, even though I'm not, you're not really righteous. 
being justified, called righteous, freely by His grace, God's grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, okay? So it's, and we're just restating over and over again here what we see the hope being about in Psalm 49. The psalm is saying, God will redeem my soul from the power of the grave. And we're seeing how that happens. The redemption was paid by God the Son. The way of receiving is by means of faith, believing on, trusting in the provision. The provision of the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that he paid the full ransom, and I don't put my trust on anything else. Not the money I can give, not the good things I can do, not the religious denomination or label that I claim, not the good things that anyone else can do for me or their prayers on my behalf. But rather, the full ransom has been paid, and I simply turn from believing on my abilities or chasing after my sin in ways, and I turn to and say, I want that ransom. I believe it's the only ransom for my sin. Thirdly, Jesus' redemption gives us victory over death. His redemption, when he redeems and buys us back, when we turn from and to Jesus by faith, believing on Jesus Christ, he redeems us. God does all the work. There's a lot about salvation I can't take time to teach through today. We're doing that in some of our 10 o'clock hour. He does all the work. But notice with me here the victory that takes place when he redeems us. This is the kind of victory that you get to see in the New Testament that's giving, giving more perspective that the psalmist is writing about in Psalm 49. He's got powerful, influential people all around him, and they're mocking and, and scoffing uh, uh, and, and being enemies toward him. And he's saying, God, I'm just going to have to trust that you're the judge and that oh, one day we'll all answer before you and I don't need to be vengeful. I don't need to get it right. I don't need to try to uh, uh, get them back at what they've done. They're going to answer to you and I'm going to answer to you and I'm depending on your ransom while they're depending on their riches. While some are depending on the wrong things, I'm depending on the right. I'm depending on your payment. Your ransom, looking forward to what God would provide. And here we see the victory that takes place in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. There's a lot in this chapter that we can't take time to teach through. I just want to focus in on just a few verses of this. It says in verse 55, O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? It's a question that's a bit rhetorical, speaking as though death and the grave is a person, kind of a personification again, as though death, like in Psalm 49, where death is a shepherd reigning over and leading people, saying, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Paul is writing. Verse 56, it says, The sting of death is sin. So sure, it has a sting. And the strength of sin is the law. And so law condemns and sin brings death. But verse 57, look here. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. 
Thanks be to God, Jesus brings the victory. How does he bring the victory? All the ransom payment we just looked at, the blood that he shed, the provision he offers for us to by faith receive and believe on. He brings the victory. I don't bring the victory. This passage in context talks about even the resurrection where he not only redeems the soul, but he redeems the body where we get united with God completely. And a lot to be said in there, but we won't get into all of that. But what we do see is that we can rejoice about the victory over death that Jesus brings. So lastly, I want to end with the responsibility of the redeemed. If today you're saying, I believe all of that, I believe that Jesus did pay the full ransom, and that's what I'm depending on. And I'm rejoicing like like Paul was. I'm saying thanks be to God for the victory that he gives, that he would ransom me from my sin. I know I've got a sin problem. I can't argue about that. I know that that in me I have I have a tendency to want to do wrong and rebel against right. It's just in me, and I I'm, I'm not I don't walk around like I'm a horrible person or anything. I'm not trying to say that, but but I know I've got that in me. And I believe that he would pay my price and God loves me and Jesus died and rose again in my place. What's the responsibility of the redeemed? Well, we'll just give two thoughts. We'll come to a close. And the first is, the first responsibility is the redeemed live for the Redeemer. The redeemed live for the Redeemer. Now this is in contrast to living to be redeemed. We don't live right in order to be redeemed, redeeming ourselves. No, no, no. We live for the Redeemer out of motivation of what He has done for us. See, Bible motivation for, for following the Scriptures is not hoping to follow the Bible enough to be redeemed, but rather because I'm redeemed through Jesus, I'm motivated to want to follow. So 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That verse comes right on the heels of the verses we read earlier. Oh, thanks be to God for the victory found through Jesus Christ. In light of that victory, he says, be steadfast. Be faithful. Be unmovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Having a lot of the work of the Lord in your life. In light of the ransom. See, we're not working in order to be accepted by God because He paid the ransom and we're accepted when we receive his provision. Now we're motivated to say, I want to be steadfast. I want to be faithful for the Lord. And notice it says, your labor is not in vain. It's not empty. It's not wasteful. It's eternal. Anything you do, think about this. Anything you do that's connected to redemption God's ransom, his payment, anything you do that's connected to that is of eternal value. So anything you do, where you put your time, your talents, your money, everything, ask yourself this question. If you're a believer, if you believe that Jesus really paid the price and you're trusting in his ransom, 
Anything you do, ask, how closely can I connect what I'm doing, what I'm investing, what I'm spending, in something that connects somehow to glorifying his ransom, his redemption, sharing his redemption, manifesting it in my life by other people seeing it, connecting it to redemption. Second statement, as the last, is the redeemed find full uh, they find fullness of life by losing it, losing life in the purposes and plans of the Redeemer. You and I find fullness of life. See, back, back in Psalm 49, they're trying to figure out how they can heap life to themselves. Buy it. Buy eternal life almost. Trying. Buying legacy. And Jesus says the opposite here. He says... You actually find life by losing it for my sake. That, that doesn't sound, you know, doesn't sound normal to us, but would you expect it to be natural if it's God's eternal perspective of how to find fulfillment in life? So look at these verses with me here, and I'll go through them very quickly. Matthew 16, verse 21 gives context, and it says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord! This shall not come unto thee. So Jesus is talking to his disciples shortly before he's about to go to the cross, pay the ransom. And here you have Peter, as Jesus is talking about this, he's going, oh, no, no, Lord, don't do this. Be it far from thee. You're a Lord, you're a master. You're not going to die? And, and, and he rebuked Jesus. He said, no, no, don't do that. And Jesus responds, and he says, he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense to me. For thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Jesus is saying, you don't want the things that be of God. Because the things that be of God is the ransom needs to be paid. It's like you, you're not wanting what really needs to happen is what Jesus said. Then he goes on. And in context of that, now he teaches, pretty much he was showing, Jesus is saying, in order for me to give what is really needed, I have to give my life. Now he turns that lesson around on those that believe on Jesus. And look what he says. Verse 24, Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, if he's going to follow me and, you know, Want to be led by me as the Messiah? Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he will gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then shall he reward every man according to his works. Jesus was teaching a lesson to his disciples. He was taking his heart, and he was trying to transfer it to them. And he was saying, 
If you really want to find fulfillment in my design for you, lose your life in my plans. Lose, lose your life in my purposes. Live for what I have for you. And he says, what shall a man exchange for his soul? Going back to that Psalm 49, some people are trying to buy their soul and you can't do that. But he's saying, would you, would you, would you live for the purposes for the ransom that I've given? To declare it, to share it, to believe it in your life. Let me just go back to those last, the first verses of the chapter and just place them on the screen there as we conclude. It says, Hear this, all ye people, give ear, all ye inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor together. He's saying everybody needs this message. Everybody needs to know that you can't buy your soul. You can't redeem yourself from the power of the grave. And you don't need to fret over and worry about those that are coming up in, in power in life and, and you feel like, oh no, they're going to they're gonna destroy our, our country, my world, and all. No, no, no. This life has a, an ending point. And we, we all will all have eternity to enjoy with God if you just know that you've been redeemed by Jesus. The most important thing you could be sure you have is the payment of our sins and your sins paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. Everyone, high and low, rich and poor, needs that important news. There was a wealthy English family that once invited friends to spend some time at their beautiful estate. The happy gathering was almost plunged into a terrible tragedy on the first day when the children went swimming and one of them got into deep water and was drowning. Fortunately, the gardener heard the screaming of the kids and the gardener actually jumped into the pool into the water and rescued the child of this family that was a victim in the water about to die. The youngster was Winston Churchill. His parents, deeply grateful to the gardener, asked, what could they do to reward this gardener who, who rescued their son, Winston Churchill? He hesitated and he said, I wish my son could go to college someday and become a doctor. They said, we'll pay his way. So Winston Churchill's parents paid the way of this gardener's child to go and become a doctor. Years later, when Sir Winston was prime minister of England, he was stricken with pneumonia. Greatly concerned, the king, the king had summoned the best physician who could be found to the, beside the ailing leader, and the doctor was Sir Alexander Fleming, the developer of penicillin. He was also the son of the gardener who had saved Winston from drowning as a boy. Pretty cool story. Later, Churchill said, rarely has one man owed his life twice to the same person. And the reality is, my friends, that you and I owe our life twice to one person. God gave us the gift of life, bodily life, soul life. He created us and created matter and he breathed life into mankind and he gave us life. And then he gives us life again when we believe on, turn to Jesus Christ for his salvation. And he gives us his Holy Spirit. He redeems us twice. Hey, that's eternal redemption. And that's worth living for. Let's live a life 
connected to the goodness of eternal redemption. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.